Rankings, rankings, rankings. The questions were whether they would be frozen for the whole year or whether they would come back into fruition. Well, the answers have been revealed with the ATP announcing overnight that there was a revised rankings change for the remainder of 2020 when the resumption of play resumes in August. It's based on the best 18 results from March 2019 until December 2020 with a lot of things to go through in between all of that. There's plenty to get through on today's show. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febo. Joel Frucci joins me on the other line. Joel, there is a lot to make of this, but first things first, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, Val. Um, big morning in the world of tennis. Luckily, this news has dropped just in time for us to go to air. But um, I yeah, I'm excited. We've got a lot to talk about today. And um, of course, we've got a big couple of guests uh, as well, Alan Perez and uh, Jed Setzer as well, which um, we'll hear later on the pod and both were really interesting chats. So yeah, I'm excited for this one. And um, I reckon, uh, yeah, it, it, it makes it makes for really, really interesting reading because, um, I mean, we had a pretty in-depth discussion about this just off air before, I guess, trying to wrap our heads around it, but um, also what it's going to mean for, mm. for tennis actually going... Um, you know, going back into the calendar and, and, and whether, um, you know, obviously the intentions are good here and we'll crack into it really in a sec, but the intentions are good, but I, I do sort of wonder what it's going to do for, <laughs> what it's going to do for, for the integrity of, of the resumption of play. It's, uh, there's, there's just a, a lot of, a lot of things at play here, isn't it? Yeah, there is. And I, I'm also really excited about this one. Alan and Jed had some really interesting things to say, and we've got to back it up after last week, which we broke our record for most listens ever with Andrew Harris. So thanks to everybody mm-hmm. who did listen. And um, we got a little bit of news exposure as well, didn't we, Joel? So that was uh, that was quite nice. So thanks to everybody yeah. who published this. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an awesome show. But uh, digressing now, the rankings. So as I said off the top, it was it's an eight so best eighteen tournaments from March two thousand and nineteen and December twenty twenty, and a player cannot count the same tour level tournament twice in that best eighteen. So you can't say, all right, well I'm going to play, I'm going to use my Madrid twenty nineteen result, and when Madrid comes around again, you can't use the same tournament twice. So it's got to be eighteen individual events. And tour-level points added in 2020 that count in a player's ranking breakdown will remain on the player's ranking for 52 weeks when rankings go back to normal in 2021. But with that, so from what I've read, the best 2019 results... So say if I played Madrid in 2019 and I won it, and in 2020 I lost in the first round, that 2019 result would go towards my ranking in 2021. And that's the one that I would be defending. That's what I take from all of this. And that's my understanding. So that's, and there's a lot of frequently asked questions that are in here. And um, like that, that was the main, the main thing that I had to wrap my head around how they were going to make the rankings for 2021 fair. And the Nitto ATP finals from 2019 will not be included in that best 18 tournaments because that's an additional tournament that only eight players are allowed to play. So those points will drop off as soon as this year's Paris Masters are done. Um, and that's what that's what I'm taking from that. But what, what gets me, Joel, is that, again, they've skewed this so far towards the top players that players technically won't even lose their ranking. So Roger Federer, as much as I love him, he's going to be my example here. He 
came out and said that he's not playing for the rest of the year. So he's taken, he had his surgery in February after his um, Cape Town match with Rafa, played one tournament, the Australian Open, 720 ranking points. Yes, Wimbledon goes. Um, so he'd keep those points and Halle and all the tournaments that were cancelled. But in this best 18 results, that almost inc- that includes the last year and a half, which Roger played very well. Indian Wells made the final. One in Miami, couple of quarterfinal results in Madrid and Rome. Then he made the semis in Par- in Roland Garros. One Halle, final at Wimbledon. Um, second round or third round of Cincinnati. Quarterfinal at the US Open. Um, wins Basel, semifinals at the Australian Open this year. Quarterfinals at Shanghai last year. That amounts to 6,230 points, Joel. He loses 400 from the points that dropped off at the Nitto ATP finals last year. It's not much, is it? No. So essentially, if you look at the rankings now, Federer sits on 6,630 points in fourth spot. He loses 400 of those. That still keeps him in fourth, 400 points ahead of Daniel Medvedev, or 330 point, 340 points ahead of Daniel Medvedev. How is that fair? For everybody else who's trying to make their who's trying to bump up their ranking, but how is it fair for any of them? Rafa's trying to get back to world number one. How can he overcome Novak when Novak can essentially pick and choose the tournaments that he wants to play to keep his best eighteen? Mm. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, I think it, if looking at it for me, it almost it really almost gives players kind of a reason just not to play at all, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, there's a lot of players, certainly up the top, obviously, that, you know, they've, you know, they've, they've gained a lot of points in the last in the last year and in 2019. Mm. And, um, obviously, we've spoken about Roger Federer. Yeah. Um, obviously, Novak Djokovic had a, had a good season last year. Dominic Team played a lot of tennis as well. He's, ball, um, he's got so 21 lot, tournaments played. Yeah. And so, obviously, there's a lot of guys up there that, you know, probably don't really have a reason to, to play now. Um uh, and you know when you look at the at the bottom guys as well, um, you know I guess it, it's good for them that they have something to fall back on. But you kind of have to ask um, and and really look at what what exactly are they are they defending? Um, you know if they don't if they are concerned about playing because of of COVID nineteen and you know getting sick or whatever. Um, you know obviously it's a case by case thing, but you'd have to imagine that a lot of these lower rank guys aren't really defending much. So. Um, you know, it probably doesn't really do much for them except kind of, uh, I guess, plateau their ranking for the next little while and, and, and just kind of protect them in a sense. So, yeah. I don't know. For me, it, it seems it really seems like a way for the ATP just to meet contractual requirements, um, you know, um, and, and have a reason to put on their events. But at the same time, not you know, obviously there's a lot of players that probably aren't going to go. We know that. So, yeah. Um, I guess you do have to wonder about the, the integrity of, of the events as well. Um, yeah. You know, if players have a reason um, where they can simply say now, um, you know, I don't really have anything to play for. So it's like, well, why should I go? I mean, obviously we've spoken a lot about the fact that um, a lot of them probably won't go and with good reason for the, for the health reasons, which yeah. are, are obvious, but um, it now it really seems like they're for me anyway, there aren't really a whole lot of reasons Um for them to go, I mean, some some have incentives. Like we'll, we'll speak about a guy like Mark Holmans later with with Jed. He he probably has a reason to go because he's got that 
um, protected ranking to get into the US Open and really try his hand. Mm. Um, there, there'll be some points for him to gain, but um, yeah, I mean, it's I guess it's uh, it's very much a case by case thing. So it'll be interesting yep. to see how the players react to this. Yep, and and that's the I think that's the big thing with this. It it is provided as a safety net for players that are injured, yeah, very much or so. m- maybe not injured, but more so for the COVID nineteen restrictions. This is what it's been based around. So players cannot leave their country and you take a Thiago Sabothville from Brazil. He tested positive back in February after the Davis Cup tie against Australia. Uh, sorry, March. He tested positive. Brazil is a basket case at the moment when it comes to COVID. Yeah. They are looking in a horrible, horrible shape, much like what we're looking like in Victoria. Oh, actually, probably a lot worse than what we're looking like in Victoria here. Oh, but, um, a lot worse. Yeah, a lot, a lot worse. Lot worse. I, I can't even believe I compared that. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> ignore me. Um, but yeah, so it's Brazil's looking really bad. Argentina looking really bad. All the South American countries, it's become a cesspool down there of COVID. So highly doubt that they're going to be able to leave. And this is where the rankings come into positivity, the fact that those guys are going to be protected by their best 18 results. They might fluctuate here and there, but they cannot play. They can move up in the rankings and they can also move down in the rankings. So that's what, um, that's what I think makes the most sense to me. And that's where it comes into a positive outlook. But I think for the players that are willing to play and that can play, they're at a little bit of a disadvantage because of... How can they really move up? How can they really go down? I think it, it, this suits the players ranked probably from maybe America, from Europe, and possibly Australia, ranked maybe from 70 downwards because they're the ones that can actually leave and play. So I don't know. I've kind of got mixed feelings about it, but I think for the players that are at the top, I think it's very skewed and very skewed to those players at the top to keep them there and protect them for 2021, which I guess the ATP and the ITF and all the Grand Slams would want them to be protected so that they can go deep into tournaments. They sell tickets, they sell TV rides, they sell sponsorships, they sell all these things because of these players. But, you know, for Federer to not play for a year and not lose his ranking, oh, yeah. that's... And, you know, I I couldn't be more happy about that because, as you know, as a Roger Federer <laughs> fan, you've got a bit... You know, that's, that's just a stroke of luck. But... Um, as a tennis fan, you want it to be fair for everybody, and it's certainly not. So, yeah, and that and that's what disappoints me because Federer should be starting next year, ranked like we we did his ranking and earlier on in the year, and it would have said that he probably would have started Wimbledon around eighth in the world, and he probably if he had have come back and played, and then next year he probably would have had to have started from well, say if he's only got seven hundred and twenty points to defend. He would have started the year well outside seeding for the Australian Open, which could have placed him up against the Novak Djokovic in round one. Mm. So yeah, yeah. I think you know what as well, Val. I think I almost think that um, we're probably going to give the ATP some credit as well. I mean, I know certainly um, last week, and obviously um, when we had Andrew on, he made some very valid points and, and really got stuck into them. But I think we we, we should acknowledge as well that um, it's probably. What we have now is probably the best of a bad situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's really hard to see too many other ways um, forward um, for tennis, given all the all the logistical headaches that, that COVID nineteen has, has caused. I almost think that, um, yeah, what what the conclusion that they've come to is probably just, um, yeah, that really, as I said, the best of a bad situation. I don't really think there's a whole lot of other ways. Um, 
that uh, that they could have gone about it. And I, I think as well, I think just um, the word fairness, obviously, we've spoken about it a lot. And um, you know, this this um, this is for both the ATP and the WTA as well. Um, yeah. And you know, we're going to hear from from Alan later, who who gives us some good insight into um, how the WTA have approached things. And by all accounts, it's been really uh, effective and, and, and collaborative. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it was always going to be impossible to make everyone happy um, yeah. and and have a, a completely fair field from from top to bottom. Um, you know, I think that was as much as we wanted that and we wanted complete parity. I think it was um, it was always just going to be a pipe dream and. Um, so to speak, I think there are always going to be some some sacrificial lambs at, at one point or another. Yeah, winners and losers in both situations, I think, and you're you're right there. But one question I do want to ask you: with these updates, does it highlight the point again and even further that why are we playing? Why are we going ahead with the tours? And yes, we've spoken to a lot of people, and yes, this. Tennis going ahead and the tennis economy going ahead, and Nick McCarble highlighted it really well a couple of weeks ago, that we need to be playing for tennis to make money and to survive. And it's 100% true, but the safety of people, and we're going to get to it in a sec, but what happened in Atlanta this week, what happened with the Adria Tour last week and two weeks ago, does this just highlight the point even further with the rankings that the top players aren't going to suffer? There's not going to be as... It doesn't seem like there's as much to play for. And we're not privy to, you know, a player's mindset or anything like that. But does this just highlight the fact even further? Well, yeah, I mean, it's not going to feel the same. Let's let's face it. I mean, the US Open, the French Open, they're not going to feel the same. They're not going to feel like complete opens. Um, obviously, we've got all the restrictions. There's a good chance that um, we're not going to see a whole lot of uh, familiar faces in terms of players. But... Um, you know, to go to go back to what Nick said, Val, um, Nick McCarville, um, you know, I think he said it probably perfectly um, with regards to the tennis economy. That's the only reason where we're going yeah. ahead. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's still revenue to be made. It's it's less revenue, but it's better than nothing. Um, and the Grand Slams, the US, the US Open, the French Open, um, they have contracts to meet. They have sponsorships um, in place, broadcast money that needs to come in. Um and we saw with the USTA as well, having uh, laid off, what was it, some 20% of their entire workforce? I, mean, I think it was that, 30, that, 30%. 30%. I mean, that is that is a huge number. So that, that really drills home why they're so really desperate. I'm going to use that word, desperate, um, for their events to go ahead because um, there's just so much at stake for them. I mean, this, yeah. this, this pandemic has just been yeah. such a crushing blow for so many businesses. And we can't forget that tennis – Tennis is a business. I mean, it's an industry, and then all the all the different bodies are businesses. They make money. They yeah. they turn profits. So, um, you know, unfortunately, obviously, we keep talking about how um, you know there's probably going to be less at stake, and you know, what are, what what do the players think about this? It's you know a dead season, an asterisk season. Um, but the reality is, unfortunately, there's money to be made, um, and you know, if that sort of ecosystem comes to a, a grinding halt, then um, you know, it's it's just going to elongate the recovery period that tennis is going to is going to go through, and unfortunately, already we're looking at, it, it, we're looking at a pretty long recovery time for for the sport to get back to yep. what we what we came to know. Yeah, um, yeah, and look, I, I think certainly in the, in the case of the US, the the response of the federal government there, the US government, has not helped at all, um, and and just the fact that 
so many states and so many places just reopened so quickly, so early, and this thing just got back off the chain. I mean, it really looked like they were making some progress. And then they reopened far too early. I mean, when you've got nearly 3 million infections, mm. um, I, just, I just cannot see the reasoning behind why they reopened. Obviously, they've got a complete tyrant in charge of the country. He really <laughs> only seems to care about the economy and, you know, not yeah. his own his own electorate, which probably, you know, doesn't help. But, um, you know, that's certainly set things back. Um, you know, if we, if we rewind a couple of months, things were starting to maybe, you know, not, not, um, not get better in the US, but they were certainly probably, I'd say, plateauing. They were flattening the curve a little bit. Um, but the fact that they've reopened and cases have just boomed again, and, of course, it's summer over there, mm. which doesn't help. Everyone's getting out and about. Um, that 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 absolutely has not helped tennis. No, definitely not. And well, you mentioned the USTA, and uh, they you alerted me to the fact this morning that um, they've cancelled five ITF events in in the week of August. They've cancelled the women's event in Lexington, um, the week later in Landisville, and then the week after that they've cancelled um, two women's events in Concord and Memphis, and then in Decatur in um, uh, for the men's as well. So Memphis was a men's event too. Um, so five events cancelled by the USTA. They don't have pandemic insurance. That's why they're going to try and really push for all this. Tennis Australia yeah. during the week, it's come out that the pandemic insurance policy has expired and the insurance company doesn't want to doesn't want to renew it. So now Tennis Australia is thrust into a bit of trouble as well, which is really dangerous heading into the Australian Open. Thank God there's still six months before that tournament begins. But it's a it's 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 scary. It's scary this this yeah. this year, and uh, and like fingers crossed that we can see that we can see tennis come out stronger and, and bolder out of this. But it's it's going to be it's going to be very tough um, for the sport to to come out of it. And just quickly before we do move on, um, the ITF and Challenger rankings will uh, count as part of that best eighteen, but sort of outside of the um, outside of that, like an additional tour event. So they'll get their best 18 results from that as well. So all of those will be included in the results. So moving on, Joel, continuing with the COVID trend as we have been for the last three months, Francis Tiafo at the All-American Tour in Atlanta yeah. coming out and testing positive for COVID. And, well, he played with symptoms. And after the Adria Tour fiasco, it's just it's just turned into a debacle. And with what's happened, it's I can't believe he played. He had symptoms, came out and said, we'll listen to that grab in a sec. But he came out and said, I've been feeling sim- like not right for the last week, but you know, I think that correlated with my performance and everything. He didn't get tested. Mm. Speechless, absolutely speechless. You've seen what's happened in Europe. You've seen what's happened with Novak uh, and, and all of those players, all of the coaches, all the officials, and what's happened in Serbia and Croatia. And now all of a sudden, and John Isner was defending the tournament like like his life depended on it and saying it was going to be done with in safe measures. Tiafo tested positive. That's a pretty big oversight. Yeah, well, before we say our piece about it, let's uh, we've got that grab of uh, Francis Tiafo from Tennis Channel, so let's just listen to that really quickly. Yeah, I've, I've been practicing. He, I haven't felt the best the last couple of days, so uh, I think I correlated into today. Francis Tiafo there speaking after the match. It's just... <laughs> all I can yeah. all I can really do is snort at that. Um, yeah, just Look, playing. I, I feel sorry for him a bit, a bit, a bit foul, but you know the, the thing is, I mean, 
how how long is it going to take for people to whoever they are, whether they're tennis players or they're just regular normal people like us? Um, how long is it going to take for people to understand that if you're not feeling well, it doesn't matter what it is, if you're not feeling well and it's noticeable, isolate, get tested. I know. And certainly, if you're coming into contact with with other people like Francis was, yeah. Isolate. I mean, how hard is it to figure out? I mean, I get he's a young guy, but you know, we should know. I mean, unless people have been living under a rock for however long, and the fact that COVID nineteen really has rocked tennis in the past month as well. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. like it happened at the start of this whole thing. It happened three weeks ago with the Adria to us. So, um, and obviously it was a big controversy. So it's staggering that that happened. And um, of course, um, you mentioned John Isner before, Val. Um, uh, you know, really going to town on Twitter and, de- and defending this event and the way it was it was organised, um, that just has not aged well yeah. um, at all. The fact that he, he went on there and um, and was calling people, you know, Corona Bros and all this kind of thing. And yeah. um, uh, as a bit of a spoiler, he's not our Benmire of the week, but he gets a, a dishonourable mention. Um, there's a, there's a few. So there many, is there is a few this week, week from from what you've um from what you've told me. There's a few Benoit. Honourable mentions yeah. this week, so I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing who you've chosen. But um, look, we, we better get a move on because there is still a lot to get through on the show and Alan Perez is about to join us. We chatted to her last week and we're about to play you that chat, so I'm um, really looking forward to bringing you that and should we get to it now? Yep, let's check it out. And our first guest on today's show is a lady that's gotten to world number 41 in doubles. She's sitting at her current career high ranking, ranking, and she's also been as high as 162 in singles in August last year on the WTA, currently sitting at world number 247 and the inaugural winner of the Universal Tennis Rating Pro Tennis event in Sydney. Uh, her name is Alan Perez. Alan, thank you so much for joining us on Breakpoint. How are you doing? I'm doing good, yeah, thanks for having me. No worries at all. And first off, uh, congrats on winning the event in Sydney last week. It was um, it, it would have been a tough week to get back out on the court, and especially like after having so long off, but um, it would have been good to be back out there and and winning especially. Yeah, thanks. Um, it, was, yeah, it was great to be back out there. I think we'd all been in a bit of a training block and waiting for that moment to try and put it all into practice and back into play. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't easy and I, I definitely didn't play as well as I would have liked and especially in some of the earlier rounds. But as I kind of went on, I, I built a little bit of form and was definitely feeling a little better towards the end of the tournament. So it was nice to come away with a win. Nice. And especially throughout the COVID pandemic, I guess, what was the, what was the routine like and what were you able to do and where were you staying, of course, because you're from Wollongong originally, is that correct? And then, um, and you've been living around from, from what I've, from what I've seen and read. So where were you staying and what was the regime like? Yeah, I'm from, yeah, Wollongong Shell Harbour in New South Wales. But um, when I flew back from Indian Wells, I went straight back to Sydney. Um, My boyfriend lives here in Coogee. um, So I decided to kind of base myself here in Sydney and just train out of here until there was a bit uh, more clear on what was going on. And obviously, um, Victoria went into a full lockdown with no tennis allowed, whereas Sydney kind of kept their courts open and whatnot. So, yeah, I decided to stay here and kind of train. Um, I was fortunate enough that my, my boyfriend plays tennis and I, I had a court and a gym in my backyard. So it was kind of easy to kind of maintain and do a little bit of work. Um, and then, yeah, as the things started to open back up in Victoria, I moved back to Victoria to start training a little bit with the academy. Um, that's where I normally base myself. I've been living in Victoria when I was 16 to 18 and then 
I went the college pathway for a couple of years and then I come back to Melbourne. So yeah, I was in Melbourne for the last month and then decided um, I was going to play the UTR event and it was a good time to kind of go back to Sydney and see the family yeah. again. And yeah, and as I made that decision, obviously the um, Victorian cases have picked back up again. So I don't know, I'm kind of in limbo at the moment. I'm <laughs> here in New South Wales playing these UTR events, but I don't know when I plan to go back to Victoria and if I do it at this point right now. <laughs> Yeah, perfect place to be at the moment. I think uh, Coogee, um, Alan, um, and obviously we've, uh, we've, the borders have just been closed down here as well. So uh, just looking out the window, it's um, nice and grim out there. It's pretty cold and, and rainy. So uh, I think uh, Sydney is probably the place to be um, at the moment. But um, I mean, in a normal world, looking ahead into 2020, what was what was it looking like for you? What were you hoping to get out of this season? Yeah, 2020 was looking like a really exciting year. I was actually really looking forward to my schedule. Um, I'd kind of made the commitment to focus a little bit more on my doubles just because um, it was going into the Fed Cup finals and I was really looking at the opportunity to play um, for my first Fed Cup tie. Um, I obviously teamed up with Sam Stozer at the start of the year and was trying to play um, Indian Wells, Miami and um, even maybe Charleston, a few tournaments just to um, see how we went together and even maybe... Um, book myself a place on that team um, so that was kind of that idea and also we had committed to the idea of maybe playing uh, Olympics if we played well enough together um, so that's why I wanted to keep my doubles up and I had a good opportunity to play with obviously Sam Stoza who's an exceptional player and uh, yeah I was really looking forward to those next few months um, and then obviously the tour got cancelled so <laughs> yeah it is what it is but um, we'll reassess and see if I kind of choose to go down the singles or doubles route now coming up but yeah it was an ex exciting year. Well, fingers crossed next year, the Olympics and the Fed Cup finals are still on the agenda, especially being 41 in the world. That would definitely help you, your chances getting into the doubles tournament, the Olympics. But speaking of doubles and your doubles ranking, they've halved the draw at the US Open and uh, that's caused a lot of conjecture with a lot of people around the world. And I'm personally not a fan of that and what they've done there. But with that ranking, does that mean that you will go to... Flushing Meadows for the US Open or will you try and focus more on the on the European side of things after that? Yeah, obviously the um, doubles draw being reduced is not it's not a good thing to see. Um, they did try and mend it by allowing only 32 um, but the best doubles ranking. So like singles players couldn't use their singles ranking yeah. to enter the doubles tournament, which does help. But yeah, I mean, I think the cut for that would be around the 120 mark. Um, so as long as I was to find someone in the top 60 or 70, I think I should at least make it in um, to the US Open. So, I, yeah, it's definitely an option. I could play it if I wanted to, um, but there's there's quite a few options, you know, running through my head at the moment, and I don't know if any of them sound that exciting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what I'll do. Well, how did you find out that the US Open was going ahead? We've seen a lot of things that James Duckworth tweeted and said, how the hell am I finding about out about this on social media? We had Andrew Harris on last week, and he said um, he said the same thing. So, how did you find out about it, and um, what what was the communication like between um, the tours and and the USTA and yourself? Yeah, the communication on the women's side has been actually really good. Um, we've been holding weekly WTA calls um, nice. with um, the CEO Steve Simon and. Um, a few other people involved and they've kind of run through every week kind of how things have unfolded um, in all terms, like the rankings, the tournaments, the pandemic and, you know, what they're doing. And actually they brought on um, Stacey Allister and a few of the um, uh, USTA staff members and uh, allowed us to ask them questions and kind of go through how the US Open was going to be run. And I think that's not something that the men obviously have 
had much opportunity to have. So, yeah, I think for the women, we're definitely kept in the loop. Um, and we've definitely had our chance to have our say. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's a tough situation right now. I mean, it's always changing. I think even right now there's new things that have come out about the US Open and, you know, dom domestic travel bans and isolations going on, which is going to cause a problem. Obviously, the EU um, restricting um, a bunch of countries from entering has put a dampener on um, the idea of playing some WTAs in Europe. Um, so, yeah. And that chat with uh, with uh, Stacey McAllister, I mean, it sounds like you actually did get um, some answers, Alan, which is which is great. And obviously, um, we've already mentioned a bit in, in this chat that um, seemingly from uh, on the men's side of things, at least uh, if uh, if Andrew Harris is anything to go by, that the men didn't quite get uh, seemingly the same level of collaboration, if you like. Mm -hmm. So, are you able to sort of shed any light, light mm -hmm. on some of the things that were that were spoken about, and I guess some of the key questions that were answered? Yeah, I mean, probably can't speak too much on it, but I mean, I know a lot of uh, players' concerns were this the bubble, this huge bubble that they're um, kind of saying, but there was a lot of loopholes and problems that have gone on. And I don't even know if we had all the answers given by Stacey. I think even they're not really sure. As soon as something comes up, it's something maybe they even thought about. But, you know, there's the idea that they're going to, international players are all going to come and land early and go into this bubble. But then they've got the idea that, some players can rent a, a house, a $40,000 house, if you want, for you and your team. And then we're like, so is every team member that's living in the house being tested? And they're like, well, no, only the members coming on site. And we're kind of like, how can you allow players, like, I mean, the house option is for, you know, the, the players who can afford it, like maybe Serena Williams, for example, where, you know, they could be having a chef, a nanny, this and that. If they're going out into Manhattan, then you're bringing them back into your house then you know you're exposing yourself to them and then you're coming on site and it just it wasn't being understood that like and I've seen it on Twitter actually you know what happens if a player breaches the bubble and you know if they go into Manhattan or they bring someone over into their hotel and it was kind of like oh you guys wouldn't do that like we we believe you guys are uh, smart players you wouldn't um, risk that and we're like there's no consequences in place. Like, I don't understand how, how you think this bubble, it, although it does sound amazing, you need to have strict rules and guidelines. Otherwise, you know, it's a pointless bubble. And, you know, things like that were being brought up. And, and the big one was the um, visas. A lot of players don't have visas to enter the US. And, you know, they were going on about how all players are welcome. All professional athletes are welcome into the US. And we're, we're trying to explain to her that, Although that's great, yeah, everyone's allowed in. Certain countries don't have visas or exemptions to leave, like Russia and Brazil right now. They can't travel to the US, whether Stacey lets them or not, you know. It's not up to her. It's up to, you know, embassies are closed. I don't have an ESTA, so I personally don't have a visa right now to enter and the, the ESTA scheme's closed. So, you know, it's not that easy. And they've made it as if it's going to be, you know, everyone's welcome, all calm, like it'll be easy to play. But... It's, it's getting harder and harder. And I think as, as we close into the event, it, they're going to start to realise the implications. And obviously now the domestic travel ban within the US. So all these um, US players are going to have to go to New York and um, quarantine for two weeks, which is impossible. There's, there's no way you can hold an event where, you know, we've, they've got like 25 of the best top 100 players from the US and they're going to spend two weeks in a hotel. I mean, unless that changes, I can't see that that happening. And, yeah, so there was there was a bunch of things discussed and just the health protocols that they're going to go through and how serious it is and stuff like that. But 
it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It's a staggering situation. And um, I guess just on the on the actual health and safety side of things uh, itself, obviously we've seen in the past sort of three weeks, there's been, uh, you know, some some problems uh, at certain <laughs> events overseas. Obviously the, uh, the age route has been uh, well publicised what happened there, but also uh, we've seen um, the big foe, Francis Tiafo, test positive as well uh, in Atlanta. So how are you actually feeling about, um, I suppose, safety and and, and uh, feeling sure that you can be away from, um, you know, from any anything like that. I don't think you can ever be sure, and and I mean this might be harsh, but I believe some uh, tennis players we are some of the most selfish people out there. <laughs> We're very self-centered. I, I will even put myself in that, and you know we're all obviously keen to get back to work and make money and stuff like that. But I can see plenty of players, you know. I even think this situation, I think it was, I saw this one on Twitter too, you know, like you wake up the morning of your match and you have, and you feeling some of the symptoms. Do you pull yourself out or do you go play? And, yeah. and I, I can just see every player not willing to give up their money and be like, oh, you know, it probably isn't it. And they're not going to tell anyone about these symptoms and they'll just play. And I think that's kind of what happened with Tiafo. I'm not 100% sure, but I feel like he said he was feeling sick leading into the yeah. match. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's... We're relying on so many players to do the right thing. And as we've seen from these tours, players haven't chosen to do the right thing. And I think it's a dangerous place. Like, yeah, it's it's very it's very hard to see the tour going ahead and successfully with when you're seeing, you know, all this happening right now. Well, that's the thing. The tour is going ahead. And you said with Tiafo, he said in an interview that he wasn't feeling 100%. And that, that was just the most bemusing factor to me that, you know, if you're not feeling 100%, look at the time we're living in, go get tested stay away from people, but obviously they're not doing that. But the tour is going ahead. There's case, there's rising cases day by day in the US. There's rising cases here in Australia, in Victoria especially, and then even um, even in Europe. Can you actually see the tours going ahead? Because it, it doesn't, seem, doesn't seem feasible, and you said it with the visas. That's probably the best point that we've had on this show about, you know, being able to enter countries and leave countries. doesn't seem feasible, does it? It doesn't. I think there's going to be a massive struggle. We actually, on our last um, WTA call, they, I mean, there's articles out about it now. Um, the, the tour is at this point where they're like, as a business, you know, we really need to go ahead yeah. to survive next year. But as a standpoint, it's very unfair. Like Palomo and Prague, which are the two um, WTA events that are meant to start around August, um, 21 of the 50 main draw players can't go because of the new um, EU um, restrictions. So they're 48% of the draw can't go and they've just realised that. And then they've realised that 37% of Prague's draw can't go. And they're like, well, how do we go ahead with this tournament when we're about to lose half the players? And then the other issue is, you know, you go from Paloma to Prague and they're not even sure that there's no quarantine involved. They're, they're, they haven't got an answer to that yet. So they're kind of in the dark. They're, they're in a situation where they really want these tournaments to go ahead. They know they've got all the safety measures and protocols in place and it really could be a great event. But it's just, is it fair? Is it ethically fair, to, you know, that half the players won't have the opportunity to make money, make the points, and, you know, is it worth going for one week potentially and then having to quarantine for two weeks? Is, I don't know. Like, there's a lot still going on. But I, I find it very hard to believe the tour is coming back. I think there's actually a decision being made very soon um, on those um, European tournaments. Um, but, I mean, I know US Open is very hungry to play. <laughs> they're always in a position where they're, they're going to lose a lot of money if they don't. They um. And they need that money to go forward with um, the USTA players and whatnot. So 
I feel like they're going to go at all costs until the very last minute, until they maybe realise that it's impossible. <laughs> but we'll see. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's I guess, yeah, as you said, a case of wait and see. But it just doesn't seem, Joel and I have been saying it like a broken record for weeks, that it just doesn't seem feasible, especially even with the cuts of players. I think that's still going to be about 900 people in this bubble in New York, which if there if there's been cases in places where there's less than 900 people there's going to be cases in this bubble it just doesn't from all over the world as well it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem right and it doesn't seem it doesn't seem ethical but as you said the money does need to come from somewhere and um speaking of money the inequality of pay in tennis is something that's been on the agenda for a lot of people throughout this pandemic and it's a shame that the pandemic has been the thing that's risen this debate but who do you think the onus is on to actually fix this inequality because uh, I'm of the opinion and we had Andrew Harris on as well and Darren Cahill saying that it's on the WTA, ATP and ITF to fix the inequality, not the players. And I, I agree with that. Um, who do you think it's on and is there anything that you see that can be done? Yeah, it's for sure on, on the um, organisations, the WTA, ATP, um, ITF, you know, I mean, I think the distribution of the money has been all wrong from for years. I think, you know, being the top player in the world, they're making way too much money and being obviously where, you know, the 300 ranked in the world, you're 300 in the world for your sport. You know, if you're a soccer player, you're making millions. Yeah. But uh, I think, you know, the distribution's been wrong for a long time. And I think that's definitely on the WTA and ATP and ITF um, with how they distribute their money for winning down to the, you know, and obviously they've done a better job with the slams, you know, increasing the first round prize money and trying to increase the qualifying. But I still think there's huge room of improvement. You know, no, no one in the top 10 who obviously are winning these slams usually needs 3.8 million. You know, you could largely drop that to say 3 million and then 800 spare to drop down the rankings, you know, and, um, I don't, yeah, I mean, players, obviously, we're doing our part. I know there's plenty of Facebook groups and Twitters and posts and, you know, all these um, players demanding more money, better um, equality, you know, standard of hospitality in the ITFs, you know, the men get it, the women don't. Um, yeah, there's definitely things that can be done, um, but I, I don't know how much more the players can do. Um, I think it's definitely on the ATP and ITF and that to, to make a change. Yep, fair, more than fair enough. That's a that's an awesome statement there. And it, it, it just finally, before we get to to some uh, to some fun, we um, I just want to ask now with your high doubles ranking, obviously you'd be very passionate about playing that format. And when Marion Bartoli came out and had her comments about you know saying that the money should be taken away from doubles and injected into singles and that their entourages should be cut. I was pretty, I was dumbfounded to say the least at the comments, but what did you make of that as a, as someone that's succeeded pretty well in doubles? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I had a bit of a laugh at it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I mean, doubles and singles are completely different. You know, there's different tactics, different game styles and things and elements to the doubles that is kind of important and not all singles players have. And I think, um, for her to come out and make a few stabs at certain things like the entourage, for example, I don't know um, the last time I've seen a doubles player with more than two people, <laughs> let alone the, I don't I think she listed six. I can't even remember what she said, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty laughable. A lot of doubles players uh, don't have, haven't been making a lot of money that they're traveling with maybe a coach if lucky or sharing a coach. So where, yeah, I don't think we're making the lucrative money that she's talking about that um, should be taken from the doubles players to go towards the singles players. And I think, you know, doubles players work just as hard. Of course, you know, you cover half a court and you, you don't need to be physically as fit, but it doesn't mean we're not doing the work to keep that physically fit. I think a lot of players are 
you know, they want to make the best version of themselves. Even though they have to cover half a court, they're still going to be out there doing two, three hours a day of hitting and gym and fitness. And, you know, so for her to say that they don't work as hard um, and, yeah, I don't think that's the right comment. Um, just it degrades tennis. It, it's yes. it's not helpful. And I think coming from her when, you know, she's not even in the, the tennis world anymore, um, yeah, it just wasn't right. But, I mean, I don't think a lot of people took it too seriously. <laughs> More than fair enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think as well. I think just a lot of people don't really seem to appreciate the kind of different skill set that you need to play doubles and, and really be good at doubles because it's so much different. But it's so much fun to play. I can certainly uh, attest to that. But um, before we let you go, Alan, we'll finish with uh, a bit of fun, and this is something that we love to do with the players. This segment's called Rapid Fire, and basically the idea of it is we want to find out a bit more behind the player um, that we're speaking to. So we want to find out a bit about the person behind the player. And you'll get the hang of this pretty quick. There's no right or wrong answers. So first one, pasta or pizza? Pizza. Good call. I don't think there's definitely no wrong answers there. <laughs> Literally not go wrong with pasta or pizza. What's the best thing you've watched on Netflix recently? Uh, recently, Ozarks and Money Heist, the season. Yeah, I've I've watched both of those and they're both absolutely brilliant. I'll tell you what, money heist you're hooked. You just can't can't stop it. Oh, it's so, it's so good. I haven't started yeah. it yet, so I'll probably need to do that. Yeah, get on it, Val. Yeah. Um, this is an interesting one. I thought of this one today. Oh wow! What is your spirit animal? What's my spirit animal? Yeah. At college, I got called a koala. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I love dogs. So I'll just say I'm a I'm a dog. Yeah, nice. Mine's probably a seal. What's yours, Val? <laughs> um, I yeah, wasn't expecting that to come out of your mouth. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I'll just go tiger because the because Richmond. I don't know. Yeah, I, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. Um, what's or who is your go-to artist before a match? I'm into EDM stuff, so either like a Kygo or like yes. a Martin Garrix. Love them both. Like okay, nice, nice. Kygo's new album, Gold Now, very good. So good. Yeah. What's the best thing about the gong? Uh, the beaches and the laid the laid back uh, culture and vibe there. Yeah, nice, nice. I've got to say, this is probably my favourite thing about Wollongong Hockey Dad. I love those guys; they're an awesome man. Um, what's the best place you've travelled to for tennis? <sighs> Tough. Um, I really enjoyed my trip in um, the south of France. I was in um, Saint Gervais, which is near Chamonix. And I mean, it was in like the mountain tops, and I actually was there during the last stage of the Tour de France. So um, that was cool to see. And I did like a um, paraglide off um, Mont Blanc, which was wow. incredible. So there's a lot of things that made that trip awesome. But God, there's so many countries I could list that I love. <laughs> yeah, nah, southern France, that's nice. Um, <laughs> what's the worst place you've traveled to for tennis? Oh, jeez, I kind of. I mean, there's some dodgy towns in Australia that we have to go to. <laughs> During the 25K tours, like Port Pirie in South Australia and stuff, but they're some of the worst. Um, I mean, there's some Asia countries that are a little bit more like, um, you know, there's stray dogs everywhere and stuff like that, but I can't, I can't remember a place recently that I've been that I haven't liked. That's good. Uh, that's, we've had a couple of nominations for, speaking of... Um, countries in that particular part of the world, China and Uzbekistan. Oh, really yeah, China's China's always up there. That's a good one. I completely forgot. Um, There's another one for China. I mean, no. I was, admittedly, when I went to China, I played in Wuhan and um, 
the Beijing. So they're like the two premier and huge events. So like they treat you really well. Um, but I couldn't imagine going there for an ITF, you know, where, you know, we get fed everything, so we don't have to find food, but it is so tough. And yeah, they're not some of the nicest people, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> not from uh, the live markets, are they? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, can't say I've been. <laughs> if you weren't a tennis player and you could do anything else instead, what would you do? Well, if you asked me this a few years ago, I definitely would have been a soccer player. Um, love my soccer. Um, still part to me, wish I played soccer. <laughs> but, um, and then now, um, when I went to college, I was really into doing something in hospitality and food industry. Um, my, my school that I went to didn't really offer it, so I just kind of left it. But I would love to be like a chef or a food critic or something like that. That'd be awesome. Oh, yeah, nice. Who do you, uh, who do you follow in the, in the round ball? In the which one? In the round ball. What's that? Oh, in soccer. <laughs> in the round ball. I've never heard of that. You know really? what? As much as I love soccer, I really don't follow it. I I, I mean, I would say like a, um, Barcelona or a, um, Real Madrid just because my Spanish background and I've always, yep. you know, known they're some of the top teams. But, you know, I don't really follow it. I couldn't tell you how, they, how they're going. No, fair enough. <laughs> you can probably see on my right here, I've got a few, uh, got a few scarves hanging up. Um, but, um, yeah, none of the Spanish clubs. <laughs> yeah, no. he's, a, he's a good, he's a big soccer fan, is Joel. But, Alan, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint. It's great to get someone that speaks as well as you on the show. And um, you've been awesome so far in your career. And fingers crossed that we follow you for the next few years. With, with um, Hopefully you're in the top 10 very soon in doubles or singles and playing the Olympics, um, although they're postponed. Hopefully it's next year and hopefully the Fed Cup finals as well. Alan Perez, thank you very much for joining us here on Breakpoint. Thank you. Thanks, guys. I enjoyed it. Alan Perez there joining us here on Breakpoint. What an awesome speaker she is, and she's got some strong opinions, and we love that on this show, don't we, Joel? Yeah, we, we do, Val. And um, I'll tell you what, just before we do get to, to Jed, um, wasn't it interesting when Alan just casually said tennis players are basically the most selfish athletes going around? Um, yeah, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't expecting, expecting, yeah, I wasn't yeah, expecting I, that at all. i tell you what, though. Um, I think there's some truth to it. Yeah, well, especially with what we've seen over the last week and a half, um, it would not surprise me with what's happened with Tiafo, Zverev, Djokovic and, and co and all of them, really. So it is disappointing to see. But, um, yeah, and your your niece joke just felt absolutely on its face. I didn't even know you were trying to tell a dad joke there, but um, it didn't come yeah, off at all. Yeah, Yeah, didn't come off at all. The seal thing was quite funny, though, so um, I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give you that one. <laughs> I will give you that one. But um, no, we must digress, and we must get to our second guest, and um, Alan Perez is an Aussie. This man is all over every single Australian's ever played tennis. His name is Jed Zetzer. He uh, is the admin for Aussie Tennis Talks on Twitter. It is the go-to page for any update you need about an Australian tennis player and their results, where you're playing, draws, what's going on. It's unbelievable. He's also the co-host of Aussies Only, one of the first serves podcast series uh, run by the great BP, but he co-hosts that with Jay Games and Jed joins us on the line now. Jed, how are you, mate? I'm great. Thanks for having me on here. I've been listening for pretty much the last couple of months since you guys have restarted and it's been fantastic. So I'm so pumped to get on the show. It's great. This is um this is our pleasure, Jed, the Aussie Tennis Talks admin. We you know this is like interviewing the president right now. So, um, 
Um, I feel like I'm being interviewed by the president as well. Oh, thank you. You mean you mean you mean Joel, don't you? Um, no. <laughs> um, but no, no, no. We must digress. But um, so quickly, well, the UTR events in uh, New South Wales, Queensland, and Vic just um just finished off. Um, over the over the weekend and last week, and it was fairly interesting. It sort of came out of nowhere. The announcement was was fairly late, but there were some good players that participated. And um, we'll start off with New South Wales, I guess, where it was um, uh, the lady we just had on, Ellen Perez, taking home the women's event, and Max Purcell, who had a stunning doubles run at the Australian Open, um, claiming the men's singles. So talk us through the event there and um, and what happened. Yeah, so it was quite an interesting week. Max Purcell ended up winning the uh, Sydney side of this event, but he actually lost his opening match to Cody Pearson, so it was a bit of an interesting one, but he worked into some, worked into his form quite nicely. He beat Jordan Smith quite convincingly in straight sets, and then Chris O'Connell 6-1 and 6-love, so he had a brilliant week up in Sydney, recovered well from that opening loss, and ended up claiming that win um, in the final over Alex Vukic, so... Alex Vukic is quite a strong player and Purcell got the job in straight sets, so definitely a worthy winner there over in, over in New South Wales. Just before we ask you, uh, Jed, who impressed you and uh, I guess what's to come in the next sort of week or so in some of the other cities, for any uh, international listeners uh, outside uh, of our uh, great land down here that might be uh, listening, are you able to sort of give us a bit of a, in a nutshell, a bit of a snapshot um, as to what uh, the UTR is, uh, is all about? Yeah, so basically Tennis Australia announced that they were going to roll out a series of tournaments um, that were going to be commencing in June and it took a while. It took about two weeks for the tournaments to actually begin after they announced that they were going to roll them out. They were waiting for some contract issues to sort of be resolved and then that did happen and they announced it was going to start and within 48 hours tennis was being played. So the way that these tournaments work, they started... um, in Sydney and Queensland and then uh, obviously here in Melbourne and then in Adelaide they're having a tournament as well and then in Perth. So those are the five major cities that they're playing in. Now, basically, each so each state's top players that are currently in the state are playing against each other in a round-robin format. So, uh, for example, in Sydney you had Max Purcell, Alex Vukic, Chris O'Connell, Rinky Hijikata, Cody Pearson, Matt Reed, just to name a few of the top guys who all played off against each other. Now, it went for three days, so not everyone got a chance to play against everyone, but based off their UTR ranking, they worked out who plays who. And, yeah, it's quite an interesting tournament. To be 100% honest with you, I don't fully understand how they worked out uh, exactly who plays who because I'm looking at the results here and some of the top players played some lower players and, It sort of ended up being a bit of a a mixed bag of games, but I guess the way that they worked out the final was the best results from the round-robin series, whoever had the most wins, I guess, and had the best UTR ranking based off in the final. So, yeah, that's that's how it works. Um, So for this specific series of events, it is each state's top players playing off against each other. And then going forward, I do believe Tennis Australia are going to release a state-versus-state tournament where each states go up against each other, and then eventually, hoping that the uh, restrictions ease with the with the states, which actually may take a little bit longer than expected now because of the rising numbers in Victoria, but they were hoping to have an Australian Championships where sort of everyone gets put into the one draw, and then they fight off for the one for the one 
trophy at the end. Good old Victoria coming to the rescue here, so we're um, we're doing yeah. everybody proud. Um, but yeah, so it's it is an interesting one, and, and you said it really well there. It's it's quite confusing how they get all the results in the UTR, like the Universal Tennis rating. But um, it is an interesting tournament. It's just good to see tennis back, really. And there's been some good results um, coming through, um, especially and some good shots as well. Mark Polmans and Alex Bolt were on show last week in Victoria, and that, that was the result there. Mark Polman's over Alex Bolt in the final. Destiny Ayada as well, winning the women's um, event. She's kind of, she went a bit cold for a while there, but she's back into some really good form, isn't she? She is. I'm a big fan of her game when she wants yeah. to play, because when she wants to play and when she wants to win, she usually does. She's a very, very talented player. Uh, I think she's had some sort of commitment issues to the sport, not really sure whether she's given 100% for the full time. But tell you what, when she does want to win, in, when she's in full flight, she's quite hard to beat. And she's probably the best of the lot that were playing in Victoria. There's, And that's saying something because that was quite a talented field. We had Storm Sanders who was in some fantastic form and uh, Destiny had no issues getting the job done over her. So, yeah, I mean, I was able to watch some of her matches. Uh, I was actually very impressed with their final against... Uh, Storm, I thought she was fantastic, uh, pretty much for the whole for the whole match. But she did have a couple of results earlier in the week that you know were a little bit iffy. Particularly one of her wins actually against Ivana Popovich. I thought there were a lot of errors being thrown into Ayava's game, and I was actually a little bit worried for her going into that final. She was going to be able to get the job done, but she notched down and she played a ripping game of tennis and got the job done in the end. Yeah, well, if I remember back in um, the 2018 Australian Open, she took on Simona Halep in the first round, went up, what, 5-love, yeah. 5-1 in the, in the first set. So um, when she's on, she is an absolute superstar. So fingers crossed we can see her in the top 100 soon. And just to, to wrap up the results, Queensland, it was the couple, Jason Kubler and Maddie Inglis, taking yeah. home the um, the titles there. So that was a nice little story to see both the, um, the boyfriend and girlfriend duo um, saluting there. Certainly, no, it was, uh, and that was a ripping final as well. Maddie Inglis over Lizette Cabrera, eleven nine in the deciding set. So that was a that was a really great match to watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, Jason Kubler, he put on display just how good he can be because we remember he got inside the top one hundred, took out Roberto Batista Agut at the U.S. Open, and then rolled his ankle against Taylor Fritz at a set all in the uh, second round. So since then, he sort of dropped off and hasn't really been able to find any continuity on the tour, but he's taken this opportunity in the COVID break to get his body right. And he's one that you should really be watching out for when the tour returns. Cause from what I've heard, his body is going well. And I mean, I watched all of his matches in Brisbane and he didn't have any issues against any of the players. And JP Smith is a very, very talented player who can cause an upset. So for Kubler to come out and roll in like that, and he played an amazing brand of tennis He's the one that I'm watching when the tour returns. Yeah, fully agree. And um, I saw even a couple of years ago at the Oz Open when he when he was in the top 100, didn't need the wild card. He, he played some scintillating tennis and hopefully he can have some continuity on the hard courts because he couldn't he couldn't get that with his knees. But fingers crossed that does come. But um, so out of all the players that you've watched, who was the one that impressed you the most? Oh, it's a tough question because... The fields were all very different. I think Victoria and Queensland were definitely stronger fields than New South Wales. But in saying that, New South Wales did have Chris O'Connell, who was the highest ranked player. And they also had Max Purcell, who just qualified for the Australian Open. So 
it's very interesting. I must admit it was Jason Kubler. I was really, really impressed by him. And it's probably a little bit stiff on Mark Polmans because he was absolutely mm. fantastic all week in Victoria and didn't have any issues there in any of his matches. So, yeah, it's those two are the ones that stand out. I'm a massive rap for Mark Polmans. I think his attitude to the game is next to none. It's, it's unbelievable, his commitment to the sport. And he'll no doubt crack the top 100 if he is able to get back on court and keep his body fit as it always has been. So those are the two that I'm really impressed by. And, I mean, Max Purcell as well, he's he's going about his business nicely. I mean, you've got to be pretty good to beat Chris O'Connell 6-1, 6-love, and that was yep. just a scintillating performance. Yeah, he's a good man, isn't he, Mark Holmans? I know Val and I love him. And um, I think what's interesting about, about him, Jed, is that his current ranking, I think it's from memory 119, I think I'm right in saying, at the moment would qualify him for the US Open. Of course, there's that really rigid yep. 120 um, block that automatically qualify. But, um, it, I mean, if you were to put yourself in, say, a guy like Mark's shoes, would you be travelling to the US Open? Because obviously we've seen another big spike in in, vir- in the virus numbers over there. But, I mean, if you were in that position, would you travel? It's a great question because I think he's in the hardest position. He's a guy that has never played a US Open main draw. He hasn't played a Grand Slam main draw outside of the Australian Open. And this would be a massive opportunity for him. He's in career best form, it must be said, just coming off his first Grand Slam victory at the Australian Open. So... For a guy like Mark, he's been given this opportunity where he can actually play in a Grand Slam main draw and get direct entry, and especially with a lot of players probably not going to be going to that draw, it's an opportunity for him to actually get a couple of wins and boost his ranking. But in saying that, look at the state of the United States right now. Not only is there a COVID crisis, but there's a, there's a safety, I guess, there's safety issues going on there as well. So me personally... I actually wouldn't go. Um, I care about, I guess, my safety more than than the game of tennis. But in saying that, I can understand why someone like Mark Polmans would go, but I I personally wouldn't be going. What what about you guys? I'm interested to know if you would go if you were in his position. It's a really tough one. But um, I think certainly knowing what we do about it, I, I can't say I would. No, neither. Uh, there's no way I'm going and spending a, it sitting in a bubble with 900 people. Mm. Joel, Joel and I have been saying this for, for weeks as a broken record, and yeah, it just doesn't seem feasible that the tournament's going to go ahead. But you know, they want it all guns blazing. But I guess we'll mm. see. And uh, and Jed, before we do let you go, tell us about what's what's on Aussies only this week, and um, how the podcast's been going with Jake Eames. Oh, it's been going really well, thanks. Jake and I are building a bit of chemistry on the show, which is which is good. We've been going on for about oh, a couple months now with some great guests. Looking forward to this week's guest. We actually haven't locked it in yet because we've got a couple options open. We're not sure which one we're going to do this week and then which one next week. So stay tuned. We'll 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 let you know as soon as it's confirmed. But uh, we had Callum Puttigill on last week's episode. And he was a ripper. He was an absolute ripper. Someone that you probably haven't heard a lot about when it comes to, you know, the top, top Australian players. He's been sitting just outside the top 500 for the last couple of months. Very fascinating story. He was actually about to give up the game. He took a couple months break last year and decided to have one last hurrah at an ITF event in Darwin. And that was going to be his last tournament. He was going to stop playing, move move to a you know, post-tennis life and actually ended up going and making the final in Darwin. Since then, he's had some really good results at challenger level as well. So 
he's in amazing form. I'm not sure if you got to watch him up in Brisbane, but he he caused some massive headaches for some players. He beat Mav Baines in straight sets, which was a huge result for him. He beat Alex Sinekrak as well, who's one of Australia's up-and-coming players, and then lost to Tom Thancutt in a really deep third-set tiebreaker. So he's one that also is probably worth watching when the tour resumes. He wants to crack the top 400, and you know, by the way he's been playing, I wouldn't be surprised if he does. He's got a new coach with him. He's working with Paul Hanley, the former doubles specialist. He's got a nice team going there with Paul and Dane Sweeney as well, one of Australia's up-and-coming players. So, I mean... I'm all behind him, and I hope that for his sake he can get some more results because he's, I mean, this probably couldn't have come at a worse time for him because he was definitely in career best form and he's sitting at a career high rank in singles and doubles and, you know, doing well in the challenger circuit. So certainly one to watch when the tour resumes. Brilliant. And, um, yeah, no, his name is one that I've seen on the challenger draws a lot and um, haven't gotten to see too much of him, but I've heard very good things about Callum. So good stuff there, and you can find that at the first serve, uh, the first serve SEN. Is that correct on um, on Twitter? It's actually the first serve, at the first serve AU. So oh, I should know changed. that. I really should know that. Um, the <laughs> no, first serve that, AU. That's fine. Uh, first serve AU. Brett Phillips obviously does some wonderful work. You got three shows to choose from. The first serve, the main show, which airs on eleven sixteen SEN at six o'clock at the moment on Monday nights. You've got the Aussies Prime only. Time. Prime time, exactly. That's what it deserves with BP and Grothy. You've got yourself and Jake on uh, Aussies Only and the one and only Mark Safoulis with Shane Lineage on Crunching the Numbers, which is also a fantastic podcast. And Jed, before we do let you go, where can we find Aussie Tennis Talks and yourself on Twitter? So yeah, just head over to Twitter, at Oz Tennis Talks. We're on Instagram and Facebook as well, but Twitter is our main. That is what we love, at Aussie Tennis Talks. Um, but look, I just want to say before you let me go as well, the episode last week with Andrew Harris, that was one of the most insightful uh, pieces of, you know, tennis podcasts that I've listened to this year. So that was really well done. That was actually fantastic. It was fascinating. And you guys are getting the exposure that you deserve out of that. That was a really, really good episode. Uh, Jed, you are a star, mate. You are a star. Um, and all the Aussies only episodes as well, mate. You do a fantastic job. And what you do for tennis in Australia, and I know the players love it. I know the players get around your social media stuff. So... Absolutely fantastic. Jed Zetzer, thank you very much for joining us here on Breakpoint. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Definitely uh, definitely going to be tuning in as you guys keep up the great work. Jed Zetzer there giving us a little bit of an ego boost. <laughs> Joel, um, that was um, <laughs> no, nah, that was good stuff. He does a great job with um, with Aussies only and, um, and with Aussie Tennis Talks, a great update. And remember, you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram through the handles that Jed just mentioned. But, Joel, it is time. We are running a little bit over time. It's, it's one of our favourite times of the week, one of our favourite segments for... Uh, our favourite Frenchman. He's been vaping this morning in uh, in the south of France. <laughs> and, um, he's had a typical he's had a typical Benoit week. He's you know he's uh, he was talking to journo's, asking them what they were doing and what they did last night, and um, and you know being his typical flamboyant self. And we saw more footage of him during the week breaking rackets and then essentially saying they were broken first. So um, it's been <laughs> it's been awesome. But Benoit Pair, what a man he is, and uh, the Benoit of the week is for someone that's had a truly enigmatic week and someone that's had a lot of ups and downs. And there's a few people that could contend to it this week. Yeah, there is. So we've got um, a few uh, a few nominations, some some honourable, some dishonourable, mostly <laughs> dishonourable. Um, before I forget, I'll give myself a dishonourable one for speaking of uh, Southern France, my uh, my niche joke in that uh, interview oh. with uh, Alan. That was, um, 
yeah, that was uh, crickets. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, Val's giving me the thumbs down on the uh, Zoom screen here. Um, John, isn't it? We've already mentioned, um, mate, you're a peanut. I'm sorry. But that's <laughs> all we can really play. Um, Boris Becker as well. Mate, um, you need to learn that if you're gonna if you're gonna have a goal at Nick Kyrgios, expect to be absolutely burned in return. He got um, sat down. Of course, <laughs> and it was a smackdown. And of course, um, yeah, Boris got champed as well by Nick. So uh, if if there's a bigger case of being absolutely put in the dirt than that, I'm yet to say it. Um, Felipeano Lopez. Felipeano. For anyone that saw his tweet during the week having a go at Ben Rothenberg saying that he should basically do more to support the sport, um, I'm sorry, Feliciano, but that's not his job. Um, he's not there to kiss tennis's ass. He's there to report. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it kind of just showed for me how sort of out of, out of touch some tennis players are. Mm-hmm. Um, Honourable mention, Jeannie Bouchard. Now, this, this was great. So she took to Twitter during the week and really triggered – what was a chain of acts of kindness which led to um, a fan receiving a new hearing aid, I'm led to believe. So that was that was lovely work by by Jamie. But the real Venmar of the week, someone that we know well. It? Who is it's it? It's you, Val. Me? What do it's you mean? Venmar of the week is you. Oh. You had an up and down week last week. Oh, geez, there, there are so many people I want to thank. Um, uh, I want to thank <laughs> I want to thank I want to thank the Academy I want to thank Joel for his for his kind nomination, um, but no, uh, explain. Um, I didn't think I was worthy of such an honour, Joel. Yeah, well, you are now. So uh, <laughs> tell the listeners what happened to you in the past week, because um, I guess the background is that here in Victoria, in in uh, in Melbourne, we've had some some postcodes, yes, um, some suburbs, we some, have we have uh, areas that have been locked down after there was a bit of a spike in in COVID cases, and uh, well, unfortunately. Bell suburb Taylor's Lakes was one of them, so uh, that was the start of the week. But yep. um, all right, it's been an interesting week for you, Bell. It has. Okay, so I will I will take you through my day last Tuesday. So I was sitting looking at looking at your wonderful face doing the podcast. We dropped a massive episode with Andrew Harris and um, broke the record. So it ended up um, that correlated yesterday anyway. But um, but yes, that was a great start to the day. Great start to the week. We you know got published in a few in a few uh, publications, but. Before the publications, I was alerted to the fact that our Premier, Daniel Andrews, was holding a press conference and he decided to lock down 10 postcodes and one of them was mine because we are eight minutes away from a hotspot. No active cases in my area. Not one active case in my suburbs. Still to this day, not one active case in Taylor's Lakes. Yet Dan Andrews decides it's a good idea to lock down postcodes. So well done, Dan. You've done a wonderful job with this pandemic. You've really... You've absolutely nailed it. Victoria, the worst state in Australia. So, great job. Um, But then after that, finding out that I won a competition to win a signed racket by Roger Federer and Stefano Tsitsipas from Tennis Only, the wonderful guys at Tennis Only there. So, um, go check them out. They've got absolutely everything. If you want apparel, if you want rackets, if you want shoes, caps, whatever you want for tennis, they've got it. Go check them out. They're online. They're also Burwood Road in Hawthorne as well. So awesome stuff. But yeah, so had that happen. And then then we got published um, in Fox Sports, Nines, Wild World of Sports, The yeah. Express. So it was a very up and down day last Tuesday. And um, yeah, so that's that's my Benoit of the week. But yeah, it's been um, the lockdown was probably a big downer. But yeah, things, um, things started looking up after that. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite the week, isn't it? 
Yeah, um, it, it was. It was definitely quite the week. I was quite, and then Richmond won as well. We won our first game since returning. So yay! <laughs> Of course, uh, of course, it's going to mention. Yeah, no, that had to. It had to. But um, yeah, I'm I'm very I'm shocked. Even though I did know it was going to happen, I just wanted to play along with it. But um, thank you for the nomination for Benoit of the week, Joel. I will take that. Um, that's going to go on my resume. One Benoit of the week on my own podcast. So if anybody's looking <laughs> to looking to hire. That's, uh, that's my main achievement. But um, no, uh, thank you, Joel, for today. We better wrap things up. But thank you for today, mate. It's been um, it's been an interesting show. And uh, thank you to Alan Perez and Jed Zetzer for joining us. But Joel, it's been um, it's been awesome. You can follow Joel at Joel Fruch on Instagram and Twitter for any big content that may be breaking with tennis. And um, I'll catch you next week. Hopefully, there's um, a bit more news to go through. Yeah, sounds good, mate. I'm sure there will be. I'll speak to you then. Fingers crossed. And uh, I've been Val Febo. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, vfebo 96 same as Instagram. You can catch us on all the social media platforms at Breakpoint Pod on Twitter, at Breakpoint Podcast on Instagram, at Breakpoint Pod 1 on Facebook. If you want to search us via the app, but just search Breakpoint, we're there. Um, you can su- subscribe on Wooshka and uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We're on wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. Please listen. We appreciate all the support that you give us. This has been Breakpoint. I'm Val Febo. Joel Frucci on the other line. We're going to join you next week. Hopefully there's a bit more news to talk about. We'll catch you then.